Brother, I invite you to turn in your copies of the scriptures to Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel 22. I'll be reading the entire chapter, however, our text is primarily verses 30 through the end of the chapter. Ezekiel 22. Hear once again the very word of God. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Now, son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show all her all her abominations. Then say, Thus says the Lord God, The city sheds blood in her own midst, that her time may come, and she makes idols within herself to defile herself. You have become guilty by the blood which you have shed and have defiled yourself with the idols which you have made. You have caused your days to draw near, and have come to the end of your years. Therefore I have made you a reproach to the nations, and a mockery to all countries. Those near and those far from you will mock you as infamous and full of tumult. Look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood in you, In you you have made light of father and mother. In your midst they have oppressed the stranger. In you they have mistreated the fatherless and the widow. You have despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbaths. In you are men who slander to cause bloodshed. In you are those who eat on the mountains. In your midst they commit lewdness. In you, men uncover their father's nakedness. In you, they violate women who are set apart during their impurity. One commits abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another lewdly defiles his daughter-in-law. And another in you violates his sister, his father's daughter. In you, they take bribes to shed blood. You take usury and increase. You have made profit from your neighbors by extortion and have forgotten me says the Lord God. Behold, therefore, I beat my fists at the dishonest profit which you have made and at the bloodshed which which has been in your midst. Can your heart endure? Can your hands remain strong in the days when I shall deal with you? I, the Lord, have spoken and will do it. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries, and remove your filthiness completely from you. You shall defile yourselves in the sight of the nations, then you shall know that I am the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel has become dross to me. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead in the midst of a furnace. They have become dross from silver. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Because you have become dross, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of a furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it, so I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. As silver is melted in the midst of a furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst, Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury on you. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, say to her, 
You are a land that is not cleansed or rained on in the day of indignation. The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured people. They have taken treasure and precious things. They have made many widows in her midst. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her princes in her midst are like wolves, tearing the prey, to, blood, to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Therefore I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, as we read these words from the prophet Ezekiel as he speaks of the coming wrath to be poured out on Israel, we can't help but think of these same accusations, these same uh, points of indictment should be rendered against our nation as well. We have shed too much blood. We are lewd people. We take from the helpless to satisfy our own desires. We mistreat the strangers. We are not given to cleanliness as you define it, but rather to filth. We don't understand what it means to be pure because we are so defiled. And Father, we have forgotten your Sabbaths. We've hidden them as if they're unimportant. Father, I thank you for this remnant gathers each Sunday to worship you. But as a people, we have profaned your holy name. We have forgotten the love of the King who first loved us. That love of the King that our forefathers appreciated and lived out. And so we've invited your wrath, and we are deserving. I pray that you would goad us to righteousness, that we would put off our many sins, that we would proclaim the good in the midst of so much evil, that we would show people what purity is 
in the midst of so much filth. That we would become righteous and throw away our lewdness. That we would uphold the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, before the world. That the cleansing power of His blood would wash over us anew. And that we might be raised up to newness of life. Abundant life which He has promised to those who humble themselves before Him. May that be our nation and the nations of this world, Lord. We ask this in the strong name of Christ. Amen. Today I've chosen to divert from our study in 2 Samuel to address a current event. I seldom do this, but today I thought it was important. And this current event and continuing circumstances that plague our nation in its disobedience to God's holy word are the subject of today's sermon. The current event to which I speak is the circumstances surrounding Charlie Gard. Who is Charlie Gard? Charlie is a 10-month-old patient in intensive care at Great Ormond Street Hospital, London, England. On August 4, 2016, he was born a perfectly healthy baby at full term and at a healthy weight. After about a month, however, Charlie's parents noticed that he was less than able to lift less able to lift his head and support himself than other babies of a similar age. Doctors discovered he had a rare inherited disease, infantile onset mitochondrial DNA depletion syndrome. And you can't say that three times fast. Uh, The abbreviated version is MDDS. The condition causes progressive muscle weakness and brain damage. In October, after he had become lethargic and his breathing shallow, he was transferred to the Great Ormond Street Hospital for treatment. Both parents, wanting to do all they could to provide for their child, began raising funds for an experimental treatment that could possibly ease the effects of the syndrome, but would not ultimately cure the disease. Private donations exceeding $1 million were raised online for his treatment. In March of this year, the Great Ormond Ormond Hospital sought permission from a local court to suspend treatment of Charlie, removing all life support efforts that had been, been in place since his hospital admission, but not let him leave the hospital. In other words, take out all means of sustenance from him, but don't let him leave the hospital into the care of his parents. The parents appealed the decision to the highest court in Great Britain, which ruled in favor of the hospital. The parents then appealed to the Civil Rights Court of the European Union, which agreed with the Supreme Court of Great Britain on June 27th and agreed to allow the hospital to proceed with terminating Charlie's treatment. Strangely, the attorney for the hospital then released a statement in which she said, 
there would be, quote, no rush, unquote, to change Charlie's care, and said there would be, quote, careful planning and discussion, end quote, with regard to the termination of his care. Now, on Monday of this past week, Charlie's parents returned to the EU court and proffered additional evidence to the court of the potential beneficial effects of an experimental treatment that they wanted to, ha- to bring to bear in Charlie's life. The court ruled that it would hear further evidence regarding that experimental treatment and then make a decision. Richard Gordon, the head of Charlie's legal team, argued that Charlie was being unlawfully detained and denied his right to liberty. He said judges should not interfere with parents' exercise of parental rights. Lawyers who represented Charlie's parents for free said Mr. Justice Francis had not given enough weight to Charlie's human right to life. They said there was no risk the proposed therapy in the U.S. would cause Charlie, quote, significant harm. In other words, it wouldn't cure him, but it may provide for his needs while he continues through this disease, and it certainly wouldn't provide or be of any harm to Charlie. The attorney for the hospital argued, and I quote, quote, there is significant harm if what the parents want for Charlie comes into effect, end quote. This is what she told the, the appellate judges. Again, quote, the significant harm is a condition of existence which is offering the child no benefit, end quote. Let me read that again. The significant harm is a condition of existence which is offering the child no benefit, end quote. She added, it is inhuman to permit that condition to continue. According to the hospital, the life of Charlie is irrelevant. An experimental treatment for Charlie constitutes a, quote, significant harm, end quote, because it might not be effective, and thus it is inhuman. The tyrannical courts of Great Britain and the EU Court of Civil Rights have agreed with the hospital. This small image bearer of God has been condemned by tyrants whose desire to protect protect infanticide prompts the will of Charlie's parents and the Creator God. Now, I tried in vain yesterday to find out the most recent events with regard to Charlie. I wasn't able to find out where everything stands. Now I want to pose a question. Why is this so important for us to consider? After all, this is happening in Great Britain, not the United States. Brethren, this is contempt for God and his creation. And it permeates most nations of this world, including our own. Paganism seeks all kinds of sacrifices to be laid on its altars of convenience. Charlie is just the recent target. From the pre-born child to the ill and infirm child, as is the case with Charlie, to the disabled individual, to the elderly and infirm, 
Sacrifices can be found everywhere. It is only a matter of time when we shall see the pagans once again choose to sacrifice Jews or blacks or maybe Eskimos or maybe Kentuckians. I have a confession to make. I've been asleep at the wheel. Like most Christians in our nation, I have taken for granted the liberties I have in Christ Jesus, as well as those liberties extant in our nation. I have presumed upon God's grace and his long-suffering. To my shame, as much as I have spoken against the evils of abortion in our land, I have trifled around the edges with like-minded, well-meaning individuals. I have placed my faith and trust in politicians who I believed truly desired to end our Holocaust, but have merely massaged the egos of well-meaning but impotent individuals like myself. I have done this to my own harm and to har- the harm of generations to follow me. When a man repents, he must turn and go the other way. In my case, I must turn from my apathy and cowardice and do what God has called me to do. God has called me to disciple nations. It is high time I do this more earnestly. Your children, my children, and my grandchildren are at risk of becoming statistics for pagan gods of this world. It is time for me to interpose myself between the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and shed the significant light of God's word on those who serve Beelzebub. It is for this reason I chose Ezekiel 22 as my text. The body of the text speaks of Israel's failures. It begins with the idolatry of the people in verses 1 through 5, then moves to the injustices of the rulers against the innocent and helpless, verses 6 through 16. Then speaks of God's wrath against the wickedness of the religious leaders who were unclean and profaned the Sabbaths, verses 17 through 29. God sees his commandments being violated in total and the widows and orphans oppressed, those being the weakest of society, and his anger is kindled. The chapter then concludes with profound statements from our Heavenly Father, beginning in verse 30, where we read, So I sought for a man from them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Hear those words again. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. He sought for a man in his covenant people, a man who would intercede by making a wall. This is the same kind of intercession Moses did on behalf of the people of God when God was so angry with them for bellyaching and complaining about his deliverance from Egypt. They wanted to go back. 
And, and Moses interceded for those people and said, wait a minute. Won't your name be profaned if you turn on your own people? Won't you be accused of not keeping covenant with your own people? And God relented. God is seeking that kind of person. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. Brethren, if God would do this to his own chosen people, what makes us think we're exempt from such an action against our evil actions? Consider the circumstance of our nation and the nations of the world that have forsaken the Almighty God. Does this chapter from Ezekiel sound like it could be describing us or Great Britain or China or Iran or any of a hundred other nations of this world? Certainly it does. Brethren, God is not mocked. He shall not keep his anger forever. When he sees his will being thwarted by idolatries, adulteries, lewdness, murders, thievery, the bearing of false witness and covetousness, his anger is aroused and he will not be silent. He looks for a man to intervene as an intercessor. Who will stand for God and his righteousness? Who will rise up against tyrannical rulers along with their willing accomplices and intercede for the righteous? In the days of Ezekiel, God could find no one. Therefore, his indignation was poured out on Israel, and she was ultimately destroyed in totality with the destruction of the temple and the fall of Jerusalem. All of that would come later, but it would come. In the days of Ezekiel, there was no one who, would cut, who came to the aid of God's chosen people. However, there was a man who arose to protect and defend a remnant. His name is Jehovah, Emmanuel, the Messiah of Israel. His intercession was and is sufficient to bring men to their knees in humility and repentance. He has turned the wrath of God away from all those people and nations who bow before him. Sadly, our nation has lost that humility and has embraced the evils of Israel that are listed in Ezekiel 22. What then is needed to turn the hand of God's judgment? This is a time for intercession by a band of mighty men. Men like those who followed King David of old. It is time for a band of courageous men to intercede and, quote, make a wall and stand in the gap before God on behalf of the land, end quote. It is time for courageous men to interpose themselves as living sacrifices, bond servants of the King of Kings, to build that wall for our children and our children's children. 
The epistle of James teaches us in chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. To him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. The Bible tells us that we are to disciple the nations. God has given us his word and his spirit to take that message to the leaders of our towns, counties, states, and nations. We need not be bashful. We are sons of the living God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, who's been given authority where? In heaven and on earth. Even in our Lectio continue today, God says the whole world is mine. So who has the right to pillage God's world? To bring evil and uncleanness to it and perpetuate that day after day, year after year in seemingly, with seemingly no repercussions. God has given us the authority to judge the nations and we are obligated to do it. As prophets, priests, and kings in God's kingdom, we are obligated to condemn sin with the word of God and call those who rule over us to repentance. They are obligated before God to bow their knees to to God who has ordained them to public office and do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before him. That is their obligation. Sadly, most of them have no idea that they're even obliged to those things. That's my fault. As a minister of the gospel, I'm obligated by my calling to call the magistrates to repentance and encourage them in doing their duty. This is not merely a call to promote righteousness by their words, but to interpose themselves with just actions, their deeds, as lesser magistrates against tyrants on behalf of those who are being oppressed. By way of example, the county sheriff and county prosecutor of Hamilton County, Ohio, have a duty to shut down the Planned Parenthood Clinic on Burnett Avenue in Cincinnati Today, not tomorrow, not next week or next month or after the next judicial hearing, but today. That's their duty. Murders are being committed there and they are in clear, those who do those things are in clear violation of God's revealed will. There are no excuses. None. Those doors should be padlocked before the sun sets. Today. And the perpetrators of those crimes jailed to await trial for murder. That's their obligation before God. The governor of Ohio, as well as the lieutenant governor, should aid the sheriff in this duty, as well as the attorney general and all other magistrates having jurisdiction over the abortion mill in Cincinnati. It is no excuse to say that the Supreme Court has ruled that abortion is legal in all 50 states. That excuse does not alleviate the obligation of the lesser magistrate 
to interpose himself against the tyrannical acts of the Supreme Court. And those are acts, by the way, incidentally, are violations of the very Constitution they purport to interpret. All civil authorities, from the president down to the dog catcher, have sworn to uphold the Constitution against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And when the Supreme Court violated that oath in Roe v. Wade, they made null and void their authority in that very matter. Most importantly, any law that is enacted by man that violates the laws of God are on their face null and void, regardless of what the Constitution says. My ministry is a declaratory ministry. I am called by God to declare the whole counsel of God in discipling nations. I failed. I have yet to meet with a civil magistrate and inform him of his duties before God. And they're all around me. I confess that right now. And I intend to repent. To know to do good by confronting the civil magistrates with their sins, calling them to repent and to intercede for righteousness, and not doing that, that is my sin. One last point before I conclude. You might say that the civil magistrates will laugh me out of their offices. That's highly likely. That doesn't change my duty. Nor does it change the message. I bring one other means at my disposal to the meeting when I meet with those magistrates. When I tell them that they are duty-bound to interpose themselves between the children that are dying in the abortion mills, the children that are dying from infanticide in hospitals, the euthanasia that's taking place, and of all places, institutions that purport to comfort the elderly and the infirmed, when I tell them their duty to interpose themselves to protect those individuals, and they refuse, the Bible teaches me that I am to begin imprecatory prayers against those who thwart the will of God. They will likely laugh at that as well. But again, God will not be mocked. And that means of grace, prayer, is far more powerful than any man that lives on this earth. I hope to be more faithful to God in this so that one day I can stand before God and trust that I've done all that I can do to protect you and your children 
and your children's children, as well as my own children and my lovely two granddaughters who are in the worship service with us today. I need your help. Pray that I would have the courage to begin this new aspect of my ministry. Pray also for my wife, who will in all likelihood suffer for my actions. This is the first she's hearing of it. But I know my wife. She wants me to be faithful to God. As do I. Again, brethren, it is a long time past, excuse me, it is long past time to act in this matter. May God increase and we decrease. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we have been confronted by sobering words from your word today in Ezekiel's prophecy. But we understand that that prophecy teaches us how angry you become when your will is thwarted by your own creatures. You didn't even hesitate to judge your covenant people for their unfaithfulness. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord? Father, I pray that you would raise up pastors throughout this country to do the same duty. That we'd throw off our pietism and get to work. Yes, we know it's important to rear our families and the doctrines of the church. We appreciate that. But when the house is on fire around us, it's time to put down our textbooks and pick up an axe to break a hole that we might be able to retreat and live another day. It's high time we pastors do that. And as I contemplate confronting my brethren in this very necessary work, I pray, pair, I, I pray that you would prepare their hearts to hear those words. I thank you for a congregation, Lord, that supports me and desires for our country to repent that a new reformation would sweep across this land May that reformation begin as early as this year, the year in which we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Father, I pray for those who are here, that you would bless them, that you would raise up from our young men those who would preach the gospel with faithfulness men who would not trifle around the edges, but rather confront evil in the principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in high places in our day. We pray, Father, also 
that you would bless the wives, mothers, daughters, sisters of those men. Knowing of the sacrifice that it might take to turn our nation back to righteousness. Men who have to build a wall and have to give their attention to that which will divert their attention from other things. Father, I pray for this new aspect of my ministry. I pray that you'd give me the courage to persevere, that you would get any glory that might come from it, that you would increase, that I might decrease. But Father, that your Son's kingdom would advance. We commit that to your care. We pray for those in authority over us, Lord, in both in the church and in the civil realm. Give us men who would govern us, who do justice, who love mercy and walk humbly before you. Put down the proud and arrogant and raise up the humble, Lord. We pray this as our psalm this morning that we sang teaches us. You shall do.